Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Lance Loken with Keller Williams Realty in Houston, Texas. Last year, he and his team closed 992 transactions with a total sales volume of $218 million. His average sales price was $219,000, of which 46% were buyers and 54% were sellers. He has a 37-member team, 7 buyer agents, 3 listing agents, 8 inside sales agents, 9 support, 2 builder relations, 1 recruiter, 6 outside support, and 1 team leader. Lance Loken is the team leader of the Loken Group. He's been an agent for 5 years. He and his team have sold 2,278 homes in their short 5-year career. In this call, Lance talks about applying lessons from high-level corporate America to his real estate team, his quick start and selling 49 homes in his first year, how he personally closed 200 homes in 2014, closing 992 homes last year with only 10 production agents in the field who average 99 closings each, how his listing agents are averaging 15 to 20 listings per month, setting big, huge, audacious goals and a plan to achieve them, planning 10 years into the future, why focusing on team culture is the key to individual success, planning for success with a mission, vision, and value statement, empowering your people to make decisions and drive the organization forward, five key people and succession stacking in each of five departments, focusing on and mastering only one new lead generation source each year, how to generate business from past clients, sphere of influence, expired listings, home builders, radio and TV ads, and agent referrals, team dynamics, compensation, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Lance. Good afternoon. It's my pleasure. Hey, Lance. It's great to have you here. Lance, before we talk about what you're doing today, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. Most of my career was in the retail sector as a C-level executive. Originally was in the furniture retail business and then transitioned over to boutique retailer and then ultimately got into oil and gas for a couple of years. How long were you in the other industries? I was in the furniture industry for about 10 years. I was in the boutique retail business for about five years and then in oil and gas for three years. You mentioned C-level executive. What does that mean? Um, it could be either a CFO or a CO, a chief financial officer or a chief operating officer. You did that for 18 years. Why did you decide to get into real estate? 
back in 2010, oil and gas prices plummeted and the company that I worked for let go of about 500 people at that time and our entire department was let go. And so I went for about eight months and had offers all over the United States. However, my wife wanted to stay in the Houston market. And so um, she kept saying, why don't you get into real estate? And I was like, there's 27,000 agents here in town. Why in the world do I want to get into that kind of an industry? But uh, finally, I got up one morning at two o'clock in the morning and 24 hours later, I completed all my courses and was uh, taking my exam. Wow. So when you make a decision, you move quick. I try to. Yes, sir. <laughs> That's great. Now, you've been in the business for how long now? Just finished our fifth year. Five years. That's great. And when you got started, did you have a fast start or a slow start? Well, I think it was pretty much for for what I was looking at, it was pretty much on schedule. I mean, we our first week in the business, we laid out a mission, vision, and value statement. And our vision for the first year was to do about $8 million. Then the second year was $20 million. Then the third year was $60 million. And then in 100 150 and 200. So we had a plan laid out right from the get-go and we we exceeded each of those goals so far. Let's move forward to today. How many transactions did you close last year in your fifth year? Uh, last year we completed 992 transactions for $218 million in volume. That is amazing in five short years, and you had a plan to make that happen. Would you mind disclosing to us what the GCI was? Uh, 3.3 million. This year, you're already on a really fast pace. You're only a couple months in, about two and a half months into the year. Do you know how many transactions you've closed so far this year? So far, we have closed uh, about 150 transactions already. And uh, by the end of the month of March, we'll have closed at least 200 transactions, and we have another 50 uh, pending for April. What's your goal for this year, 2016? 2016 transactions in 2016. <laughs> Say that again. <laughs> 2016 and 2016, that's our one thing for the year. Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> you set some big goals. Oh my. So you, you expect to close over 2,000 transactions this year? That's our goal, yes. Wow. And, and that sounds incredible to anybody listening, but let's talk about your short five-year career. How many homes have you sold so far in your career? In the career, it's been about 3,000 total. Now, you mentioned at the very beginning that you had a plan that you laid out in the first week. I assume that comes from your executive level work at the C-level in the retail industry, but I, I'm trying to get my mind around that. Did you just lay out a business plan for exactly what you were going to do? What does your business plan look like? So th that first week when we came up with our mission, vision, and value, um, we actually had a top level real estate agent that had been in the business for 30 plus years in our market center. And so I actually used his figures to work backwards. Uh, the goal was by 2017 to be the number one team in all of the Houston market. And 
So looked at his numbers and then worked everything backwards. So we went with the 8 million, then the 20. And because I didn't know any better, I thought those numbers looked reasonable. (laughs) That's, that's fantastic. And, and you had a a lot of strong belief that it would happen. I have a different question for you because I know you run your operation a little different than most are you in the day-to-day operation? Do you do production? Do you go out and take listings and help buyers find homes? I stopped as of last January. So it's been about a year. It's been about a year and three months since I've been a listing agent. But you were in production for those first three years. Yes. Those, those first, yes, four years, I was 100% in the production. My first year, I worked exclusively with buyers and then the second year through the fourth year, I worked exclusively with listings. Why did you choose to work with buyers initially? Because I didn't know any better. <laughs> um, <laughs> so what happened that first year was when we were starting out, um, I had an inside sales agent from day one because I knew that lead generation was not my expertise. So I hired somebody to do the lead generating for me. And then hooked up with a foreclosing listing agent and was able to secure several buyer leads off of that stream and focus just on the buyers. And I had no interest that first year in working with listings. What did your team look like that very first year? It was you, an ISA, anyone else? Yes. And in the third month, I hired a transaction coordinator that worked 10 hours a week because I I wanted to make sure the paperwork got done correctly and I wanted to lead with revenue. So I only hired that person for 10 hours a week. And then uh, in July, I hired my first uh, other buyer agent. So at the end of the first year, we had four people on the team. And you hit your 8 million goal. How many closings was that the first year? The first year was 49 transactions and we did 8.5 million in, in business. Had you mapped out that you would be bringing in people to help you at certain mile markers? I have my map, per se, out through 2025. So I know how many people we need to hire now to be ready for next year's business. And we hire almost a year in advance to be ready for the following year so that they can be trained properly. And then they have a little bit of time to get up and going so that they're producing at a high level, you know, the following year. So yes, we have it mapped out by person for the next 10 years, at least. Yeah. 2025. I, my mind couldn't get around that. So that's, that's nine, 10 years out. What do you expect that your business will look like in 2025? We will have done $2 billion in business that year. And it equates to about 5,000 transactions. Wow. Are there that many transactions in your market? There's almost 120,000 transactions on a yearly basis in our market. Our goal, our ultimate goal is to have 15% market share. 15%, 5,000 would be around 4%. So your ultimate goal is to do 20,000 transactions a year? In one year, yes. (laughs) That's beautiful. Wow, you are really thinking big, and and it's and you're making it happen. That's incredible. When you foresee that, then your operation getting that big with 
25, let's just start with the 5,000 transactions in a year. Is that out of one location or will you have to spread out uh, multiple locations? Well, we, we expanded the team into five regions. So we have agents live living in each region of the Houston metropolitan area. There's actually nine counties in Houston. And by 2025, we'll have 13 listing agents and 39 buyer agents to handle that volume. How, do you, how can you plan 10 years out, though? That just seems so far for most of us. Is that something that you picked up from your executive days? Well, I, I'm a numbers person by trade, but it, it's really simple. If you take the number of transactions a person will do on a normal yearly basis, say they do two or four transactions a month, you know, you've got 24 or 48 transactions a year. How many people do you need to be in production to achieve a particular goal? And then you just hire to that number. And my responsibility is to make sure enough leads are coming in. Actually, in 2025, we're supposed to do 6,552 transactions. I just pulled up the number. So you're not done. You built this up to an amazing volume for, for most people who'd be listening, 1,000. That's, that's incredible. That's got to be, what, in the top 10 in the nation. But you're not done. You want to take this even further. Why do you want to take it so big? What's your driver? Build a legacy that everybody else will want to emulate. And at the end of the day, you know, the per- public perception of real estate agents isn't that great. And it was one of the reasons why I had no interest in getting into this business. However, at the end of the day, if you do this right and you run a business as a business, and if everybody follows in your footprint to run a business the same way, imagine what the perception of a real estate agent will be 15 years from now. It'll be so much better than it is today. I heard you make a reference earlier to leading with revenue. That sounds like it came right out of the red book, Gary Keller's book. The MREA book, the Millionaire Real Estate Agent. Do you use that as a guide? The funny thing is, um, I had never even heard of the book the first three years of business. And then um, I was asked to be on stage with Gary Keller and thought it might be a good idea to read that book before I got (laughs) up there. And... uh, But but the coolest part is I came from a business corporate America background and the beauty of MREA is it's running exactly like a business. We were doing everything exactly like the MREA book says. So that's living proof that if you just follow that book, you're going to be successful. I got to go back for a minute. Did you have a degree in business before you went off into the, the world to work? I have an accounting degree and then a minor in business administration. You said that you were in production up through, say, uh, a year ago, and then you stopped being in production itself. In in that last year that you were in production, what kind of volume were you personally doing? I did about $50 million myself. I'd have to go back and look at specific numbers, but it was about $50 million myself because I was doing all the listings. Wow. How many listings is that in a year? In 2014, we did one, two, three. We did 659 transactions in our fourth year. And so 
300 total transactions, and I, I did at least 200 of them. So you did about 200 listings uh, by yourself. That's incredibly productive. I think we want to talk about that a little bit, how you pulled that off by yourself. Obviously, you created the model, and then you brought other people in to run that model, but you had to run it first. So how did you take 200 listings in one year? Our listing agents are currently doing 15 to 20 listings each month, every month. And it's because our team, they are a well-oiled machine. They have each have specific responsibilities on the team and no position is better than the other position. They all have their one thing that they need to focus on. And as we've evolved the team, it's become more and more refined and when they're focused on one thing that they're enjoying doing, it makes everybody else so much more successful. And you can have a team of experts instead of just a group of people trying to process a transaction. These are experts doing each facet of the business. Wow, you just made a, another Gary Keller reference his book, One Thing. Uh, <laughs> that you have your people focus on one thing. On each team member is focusing on one thing and getting really, really good at it. That is absolutely correct. In order to get a, a good picture of what you're doing, I think we we need to talk about the team first, and then we'll backtrack in. Could you describe to us the structure of the team, the way it currently stands? Sure, absolutely. So as we've evolved again, I mean, I I want to make sure that everybody understands that this isn't the way it was day one. We had four people at the end of the first year and then eight people at the end of the second year, 15 after the third year, 25 in the fourth year. And we finished last year with 35 people. And we're currently as of today at 37 people. And as we were growing the team and the business, we created an executive team that has one executive in each department. So we have a VP of operations, of outside sales for buyer agents, outside sales for listing agents, a VP of inside sales, and a VP of marketing. So they all have their own departments and they manage that department. They hold each other accountable on a weekly basis. And then I have five people that I hold accountable on a weekly basis, which is the executive team. So what that accomplishes is you create a succession planning process as well. So say you're an inside sales agent one day, then you want to transition over to a buyer agent or a listing agent. And then maybe you want to transition to an executive position on the team. There, there's Those layers are in place so that somebody can come in in one position and evolve into another position throughout their career. Lance, on that real quick, you mentioned that you have five key people that report to you. Is there a magic in that number five? Well, from what I understand now, Gary Keller says that he hired his core five people as well. And it, you should never have more than five or six people. So I think we're doing things the right way. If Gary says that, it, you know, if he does the same mentality, he hired five people and then everybody else went and hired their people. And for us, the positions is what, triggered that executive team because we had the inside sales. And I also wanted to keep the listings separate from the buyers because I believe that the the 
personality of a listing agent is drastically different than the personality of a buyer agent, as well as the operation side, which is the back office, and then you need your marketing department. You also mentioned the word succession plan. Are you building a business that will outlast you if you were to leave the business? Oh, absolutely. And my executive team could take over my position tomorrow if I was not here. And that's the beauty. We have a bench of experts in each level. So there's a buyer agent right now that could step into the vice president of buyer agents role. We have a listing agent that could step right into the VP of listing agents role. So everybody has their own bench throughout the organization. And it it makes for a very successful organization because you can live in a position of confidence and comfort that no matter who leaves tomorrow, somebody else will step right into the position and take over. And you said that as though it builds confidence for the team and the team members more than just building confidence for you. It, it of course, builds confidence for you knowing the operation will continue, but you made it sound as though you're building it that way so that the team feels confident that if one of their members were to leave for whatever reason, a relocation or whatever, that everything would be fine, they'd have a place to work, and everything would move forward. Absolutely. You want that job secured? Let's go where we were going just a minute ago, and that is you have 37 people on the team right now. Could you please map out for us, give us the structure of the team? Sure. Uh, So I'll start with the operations. We have a buyer transaction coordinator that handles all of our buyer agents. And then on the listing side, we have a listing coordinator that handles from listing agreement to contract. And then we have a listing transaction coordinator who's also our VP of operations. She handles from contract to close on the listing side. And then we have a in-house professional photographer, in-house professional stager, as well as two operations specialists that go out and put signs in the yards. Uh, We also have a client relations coordinator. And then in the builder side of the business, we have a director of builder relations and a builder relations coordinator that handles new construction. On the marketing side, we have a VP of marketing and then three marketing coordinators. On the listing side, we have three listing agents, including the VP of listing agents. On the buy side, we have seven buyer agents, including the VP of outside sales for buyer agents. And on the inside sales, We have the VP of inside sales as well as eight inside sales agents. To simplify, how many agents are out in the field taking listings and showing buyers? So we have seven buyer agents and we have three listing agents. So there are actually just 10 operating agents. And based on the number of closings you had, that means that each active agent is averaging almost 100 closings a year. Depending on the position, the listing agents will do a lot more than the buyer agents. I use a three to one ratio when figuring out everything. Um, So for every one buyer contract, we should have three listing contracts. And that three to one ratio has run really well throughout the entire organization um, from, from a listing versus purchase perspective. We've also evolved into our VP of business development as our full-time recruiter. 
and her entire focus is on hiring top talent. People are going to be listening, and I know the comment that they're going to make, which is, you're running a company. You're no longer an agent. You're running a company. Are you an independent company out on your own with your own office space, or are you still underneath the brokerage, the Keller Williams brokerage, working under someone else's office? We have a mega agent office. We are in Keller Williams, so um, our broker and OP, they have their own market center. So we're a part of the market center and we do our, uh, and we do all of our transactions through the market center, but we do have a mega agent office and we run the company as a business from day one. You mentioned earlier that you have this goal, this ambition to close 5,000 transactions in your area. In fact, I think it was 6,500 by 2025, which is pretty incredible are you going to be doing that all in the Houston market or are you going to be doing expansion teams in the other markets? For us, we've already done all the expansion necessary going into five regions. We divided Houston into five different regions. And so we have those agents living in each of those regions. So for our perspective, Houston is such a large uh, community that we can handle 15% market share out of the Houston metropolitan area. So we've done expansion in a different way than what ESO is teaching um, by going to multiple cities and things like that. Houston is such a large location that there's no need for us to go outside of that. Yeah. How big is Houston? What's the population there? It's over 6 million. Wow, it is a really big place. And you you mentioned, I think, 120,000 transactions per year? Yes. So you can go real deep in that one market. You mentioned you have five regions of Houston, and your agents are living in those five regions. Are they also then going to five different offices, or do they all come back to your home base? They come to our home base every Monday. We do all of our accountability and our... Uh, team meeting events all on Mondays. One of the other questions that's often asked when people are building teams is compensation for the agents, the buyer agents and the listing agents. Would you mind walking us through your compensation model? Sure. So um, from my perspective, I feel like the the business should always be as close to 50-50 as possible. So in the third year of business, we were beginning to grow the ISA call center. And even though we've had an inside sales agent from day one, we wanted to really grow that into a full-fledged call center. And so um, I went to the buyer agents that were earning about 50% commission, and then the company was earning 50%, and went to them and said, if I could guarantee you that you would earn $100,000 a year, and you don't have to lead generate, you don't have to follow up, and you don't have to uh, manage your data bank. Are you okay with that? And before I got finished asking you that question, um, they said absolutely. So we adjusted their split to um, 35% on the purchase side, and then that 15% differential goes to pay for the inside sales agents. So the inside sales agents have a base plus 10% on their side, And then the listing agents, they earn 10% commission. So everybody from the 
production side on outside sales, they'll earn a minimum of a hundred thousand dollars, and most of them are closer to one hundred and thirty to one hundred and fifty thousand. And then on the inside sales side, they'll earn anywhere from seventy to a hundred thousand. And then our back office is on uh, a salary, and then um, our marketing people are on salary as well. Just to clarify, did you say that your listing agents, the agents going exclusively for listings, did you say that they're at a 10% commission? That's correct. And it's also the three to one ratio. So if a buyer agent's making 35% and the listing agent is earning 10% on each of theirs, they're doing three times the amount of transactions, but it's a lot simpler for the listing agent. The listing agent goes out on the listing appointment. They negotiate repairs, and they go to closing. It's as simple as that. You know, I mean, there's a few little things in between, but for the most part, that's their responsibility. On the purchase side, you've got to cultivate that buyer. You've got to go out and do multiple showings. You've got to be there for the negotiation of repairs, and then you attend closing as well. And then you've got the inside salespeople that are doing all of the follow-up, they're doing the database management to make sure that they're, all the clients are in the system and you know being marketed on a monthly basis. So each role has their specific responsibility. It also appears that you're almost at a one-to-one ratio with the ISAs to the agents. Is that, is that what your goal is? It is. Their goal is to have two appointments a day, 10 appointments a week, and 40 appointments a month. They're currently averaging about half of that, but we do have uh, some inside sales agents that are very close to the 40 a month, and it's very exciting. We we just had another person achieve the 40 appointments this past month and made a big deal about it. But when people are in that line of work for at least a year, they should be right around that 40 a month. You know, they're doing a lot more cultivating because they could be working with buyer leads or they could be working with listing leads that are a lot more active. I think it's really interesting how you took your listing agents and your buyer agents and you, you basically are trying to balance out their total compensation, how much they take home based on what type of work they're doing and how much time they're going to have to spend with each client. And the best part is we don't hire real estate agents, so I don't have to worry about the baggage that most real estate agents bring with them because um, agents, for the most part, are so concerned about their split and they don't look at the big picture. So if I tell you that you're going to get 50% commission and you end up making $60,000 a year because you're doing more responsibility, or if I tell you that you're going to make 35%, and you bring home a paycheck of 120 or 130,000, which direction do you want to be in? And agents don't look at it from that perspective. They don't look at the big picture. They look at that now part and they go, oh, I need to be earning more commission upfront on each transaction instead of focusing on what they're going to earn at the end of the year. Well, you just brought up a really interesting point. How are you finding the people for your team? How are you finding and hiring? What's your process for putting the right people into your organization? We look everywhere and anywhere at all times. Um, The funny part is when I was 
first starting out looking for top talent, I was finding a lot of them in the wine bar because I'm a, I'm a wine snob. So I tend to be <laughs> in there and, and I'd watch people interact and watch their mannerisms and their personalities. And you can really read a lot in a person when you're just sitting and watching them. So um, you literally looked everywhere. I met somebody on a cruise ship a couple of years ago when I took our team on a cruise and she was sitting playing blackjack beside me and struck up a conversation with us and she was absolutely amazing. And then um, higher, my wife was on a flight going to a speaking engagement and the gentleman that was sitting next to her uh, was an operations manager and wasn't happy in his current role. He wanted more and he's now running our entire new construction side of the business. So you, you always, you're always looking. And now with our full-time recruiter, we have uh, ads on Indeed and LinkedIn, and it's been an absolute game changer by having a full-time recruiter with their specific goal, looking for top talent. How do you define top talent? What are you looking for in a person to join your team? I want somebody driven, aggressive, goal-oriented, intelligent, and, and those qualities, uh, especially on the listing side. On the purchase side or on the buyer agent side, we're looking for somebody that's more engaging and cultivating and nurturing. Could you describe for us the interview process? I assume that you, these people are coming in, you're getting, say, an application or a resume. What's the next step? How long is the process between the time that they say that they're interested in working with you and the time they actually are? And what happens in between? Sure. Uh, we follow the RSTLM process exclusively, and RSTLM is a Keller Williams process where it's recruit, select, train, lead, motivate. Uh, when we're, when for instance, right now we have an Indeed ad out there, they'll submit their resume, and then if we're interested, we provide them with a uh, disc profile. We want to see what their personality profile is, and for us, the DIs or the DCs are very good on the listing side, either as a listing agent or a listing ISA, uh, outbound ISA. Then on the cultivating side or the buyer agent side, we want a high I. And I'd also like to have you know a mid C as far as that's concerned as well, or even an ID. Um, I want somebody that's still going to be driven, even though they're cultivating that lead or that, per, you know, transaction with a person. And then on the back office side, we're looking for SCs. And then once we receive the disc back, then we bring them in for an in-person interview. And then if we like them after the in-person interview, we provide them with an AVA, which will take that personality profile and basically put it on steroids and uh, give that once they complete the AVA, we will get numbers back and we have specific numbers that we look for for each position on our team. And then if the AVA comes back and it's somebody that we're interested in, then we bring them in for validation. By the way, if we perform, if the client performs the AVA, you must validate. So that's a key part of the process. And that person is always a candidate 
they are not they're not offered employment until the very end after we've offered reference you know received reference checks and then the very last thing we do is offer them the position so we can we can opt out at any time during the process all the way up until we've actually submitted the offer the in office time takes about 10 hours of actual office time and then that whole process can take several weeks depending on the availability of that candidate let's say that you get a uh, hundred people to come in the top of the funnel for one of your jobs how many people are coming out the bottom and actually being employed so for every 100 applications that we get in that are good applications we'll interview approximately between five and ten of them closer to five and out of that uh, we'll have two really strong candidates and either one or two will make the team. So out of every hundred applications or people that we're reviewing, about one or two will end up working for the organization. And you said you don't like to hire agents that have a license. So you're finding these people first and then what, you send them to real estate school? That's correct. So while they're employed in corporate America, we ask them to go and uh, start studying for their exam. And then once they've done that and they've completed the courses, then we'll have them put in their notice and hopefully they will have taken their exam before they come and join us. If they haven't taken their exam yet, then those first couple of weeks that they're with us, they're finishing up their studying and They'll make, they'll build their data bank of their sphere and things like that during those first couple of weeks. But by the end of the second week, they must be licensed. How quickly do you get them ramped up and into production? We have a 100-day training program that they must adhere to. And again, that's evolved as well. So once they've completed the 100-day training program as an ISA, everybody that joins our team on the production side must be an inside sales agent first. And the reason for that is you're learning four foundational uh, key elements to this process. You're memorizing scripts. You're learning to overcome objections. You're forming habits. And you're learning the time block all during your first 100 days. And then if you do transition into a buyer agent or a listing agent, you've got those core values set as a standard going forward. And when you go out on a listing appointment or a buyer consultation, you've already been overcoming objections and memorizing scripts for those first 100 days. It's a piece of cake when you go into production. I mean, a perfect example is one of our listing agents transitioned from an ISA over to a listing agent. Her first month, she went on 32 listing appointments and secured 30 listings. Wow, that's pretty spectacular. <laughs> Our team does an amazing job of training and really preparing everybody, and everybody does everything together. It's not an individual thing whatsoever. Do you have different tracks for the people, for the agents, or the people who will become agents coming in? They're, they need to be an ISA for the first 100 days, but then are they already set to be on a track to go in and become a listing agent, a buyer agent, or remain an ISA? Yes. When we're going through the recruiting process, we always look at the end in mind. So if we're looking at this person, uh, right now our focus is on 
hiring permanent ISAs because we need a call center of 10 people. So that's our focus right now. However, if we find top talent and they're going to transition over to a buyer agent or a listing agent, we'll discuss that during the interview process. And then they'll go through their 100 days and then uh, transition for another 34 days over to a buyer agent or a listing agent role. And they'll shadow the the buyer agents or they'll shadow the listing agents depending on their task, you know, that they're going to evolve into. But everything's a process and step-by-step. And we have manuals for each position. We have manuals for the entire back office so that our systems and processes, anybody can come in here and do a responsibility, you know, uh, from day one. You mentioned earlier the DISC personality profile you're looking for for your listing agents and your buyer agents. If you have somebody who's going to go down the ISA track and stay inside the ISA track, are they the same personality profiles or do you look for something specific? No, and that's the beauty of our ISA program. So if you're, if you're focused on the outbound ISA program, you're, you could very easily transition into a listing agent. If you're focused on the inbound leads or cultivating working with buyers, you can easily transition over to a buyer agent. The thing that we look for is key, key things that we look for is follow-up and making sure that they're either engaged with a person from a cultivating perspective or they're more business-minded from a listing perspective. Because in my opinion, the listing side of the business is more of a business transaction. The buying of a home is more of an emotional situation. So you want that person that's able to cultivate and build that, form that relationship with the, the buyer. I'm looking at it from that that big picture structure view. The way I'm kind of hearing it is that the ISA is kind of a turnover position. It's a temporary position to move people into either listing or buyer agent. And it would seem that then you would run out of ISAs or you'd have a, a, a deficiency in ISAs. Am I misunderstanding the process? Correct. You are. So we have permanent ISAs that will be ISAs forever. And that's where we have our 10 ISAs and that'll be our call center. Then anybody above and beyond those 10 core ISAs, they will be the ones that'll be transitioning over to a buyer agent role or a listing agent role. But we always want 10 ISAs that are permanent in place. So we could have 15 or 16 ISAs in the call center, but 10 of them are permanent. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search RealGTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. I assume that you have built a culture inside this team. Could you describe what the culture is and, and how you've developed it? Sure, absolutely. And uh, when we go out and present our business to other organizations, um, culture is the thing that we end up with the most because we believe in it so um, strongly. Culture for us is the key of everything and the foundation of everything. We have not lost people by them quitting 
We've helped people find other opportunities when they haven't worked out with our organization, but we don't lose people from, you know, by quitting. And it's key because everything that we do is as a, as a team, as the Loken group, nothing is about Lance Loken. It's always about our organization as a one business unit. And especially early on when we were going out and recruiting corporate America people, we wanted to make sure that that buy-in was key. We wanted them to understand the big why of what our business is going to entail five, 10, 15 years down the road. And everybody that's joined the team sees that perspective. And it's been really awesome to watch. Um, The other key part is that we enable others to succeed. We want everybody on our team to be extremely successful because then the Loken group is going to be successful. So if we enable them to be successful, uh, the business will take care of itself. Another key ingredient is that we empower people to be successful. My, my thought process for everybody, especially the executives, ask for forgiveness instead of asking for permission. And the reason behind that is I'm able to see, especially the executives, I'm able to see how they interact and make decisions because someday somebody's going to take over my responsibilities. And if I'm always telling them what to do, how am I going to ever know who could take over another position? So we empower them to make their own decisions. Uh, They've also built their own benches by the people that they hire. And so that is key for succession planning. Uh, We versus I is huge in our business. Everything is about the Loken Group. We also celebrate our successes on a quarterly basis minimal. And whenever we have major successes, we really celebrate. Each year, we have a, a goal to reach. And when we hit those goals, I take everybody, including their significant other, on a four-day, three-night trip. And it's been absolutely awesome. We've gone on a cruise. We've gone skiing to Park City. This year, we're going to go to Cancun, Mexico. So, And we always bring the significant other because they're the ones that are making just as big of a sacrifice by allowing that partner to be out, you know, several times on the weekends or nights, you know, so it's a huge undertaking. And then we're, we're also big on time blocking, making sure that they're time blocking their personal time first and foremost. So in in all of that, we're really focused on the culture of doing this together instead of having individuals. And Lance, this really is a big deal for you. Folks will notice that when I asked you to send me over a picture of yourself so we could put it on the website next to your interview, you sent me a picture of the entire group. You will not send me an individual picture. (laughs) you, You take this all the way down the line. I've got to ask the question, though. I mean, you were in personal production, and you closed 200 transactions in a year. That's a pretty big ego boost for anybody how did you pull yourself back from that, from that fulfillment of being so productive and have somebody else take over that piece and feel that loss of not being productive in that area anymore? Um, because that wasn't my focus. My focus was on empowering people to be successful in doing what they were specialists at doing. I did that job because I had to. It was a necessary piece of our puzzle at the time in, our, in the growth of our organization. So whatever I did the first year working with buyers, I didn't enjoy working with buyers, but it was what had to be done at that particular time. And as we've evolved each year, we've added 
and streamlined processes to the point that we are today. And we're always looking to be more and more efficient. So I didn't do the 200 transactions. The Loki group did the 200 transactions because without six, seven, eight different people all having a part in that process, I would have never been able to handle that. So nobody is greater than anybody else on the team. In fact, everybody is equal. Our operations specialists, their responsibility is to put a sign in the yard, put lock boxes on the doors, take measurements. They're building relationships with the sellers all the time. If we didn't have that person going out and doing that, the listing agents couldn't go out and do their role. So we don't look at any one position any greater than another. Now, you also have mentioned a couple of times the concept of a bench. Define that more for us. What do you mean by each department having a bench? For instance, um, we could have our VP of inside sales get into an accident and not be able to come back for a year or two years or worst case scenario, they never come back. There's somebody that's currently an ISA on a day-to-day basis that could assume the vice president of ISAs tomorrow. We have buyer agents that are doing the buyer agent role on a daily basis. They could assume the VP of buyer agents tomorrow. We have somebody in each of those roles. And then I have my executive team that any of them could assume my role tomorrow and, or they could do it as a group either way. But we have people in place that if we lost somebody tomorrow, we just have next man up. So let's take your buyer agents. You have seven buyer agents. Is one of those buyer agents, say, a lead buyer agent? Or you know, who, how do you know that they're the next one in succession? All the executives are all in production. So our VP of buyer agents would technically be the lead buyer agent. But they also have a person in their role that, that is doing buyer transactions on a daily basis that you know, can be groomed to be taking that other person's position. At the end of the day, that lead buyer agent or the, the executive is holding each person accountable on a weekly basis. They're motivating them on a weekly basis. They're doing their four one ones. They're keeping that buyer agent on track with their vision boards. And so it, it's not, I mean, to simplify it, it's not rocket science, anything that we're doing. It's just who's the next leader in line that could assume that role. And how do you know that? Do they give you a list of who the next person is in line? Are they grooming that person? Or how, does, how, how do you know that there's any kind of pecking order for who would step up next? It's not necessarily pecking order. It's who's got that desire and that drive to automatically be a leader. You can see leaders a mile away, you know, just by the way they operate, the way they conduct themselves. And my executive team and myself, we meet on a weekly basis and do accountability sessions every single week. So we know who, who the cream of the crop is and who isn't, but we don't, we don't single that person out at any time because that's not fair for everybody else. We just know that if, if God forbid somebody left tomorrow, we have somebody right in place to take over. So you mentioned 411. What is a 411? So you're looking at goals on a weekly basis and a monthly basis and a yearly basis. So you, you look at every week of the month and you look at every month of the year and each quarter of the year. So it, get, it basically breaks your entire year down into segments. 
to to make it manageable and to make it um, achievable. And you do that for both your business and you do that for your personal. So every week when they're doing their accountability sessions, the executives are meeting with them both personally and professionally to make sure that they're on track in all facets of their life. Well, Lance, I know that the folks have been listening. We've talked about your team. We have a pretty good idea of the structure and the culture that you've created. I'm sure that people are wondering, how are you generating enough leads, enough business to be closing a thousand transactions last year and you want to ramp it up and double it again this year? How are you doing that? Where are those leads coming from? So as we've evolved the business each year, we focused on one major attribute each year. So the first year, because I didn't know any better, worked with buyers and became a master with buyers. Then the second year, the light bulb goes off and said, hey, maybe we should work on listings. We could get both sides. I'm like, well, that was really stupid that I didn't think of that you know, from the get-go. But, but by working with those buyers that first year, it really laid the foundation to become a better listing agent. Well, by the way, I failed on my first 12 listing appointments that January. Um, and <laughs> the, the cool part was I just kept focusing on the script that I was using and the value proposition that we are offering. And when we got to that 13th listing appointment and secured the listing, I think it was more of a confidence perspective that we knew what we were talking about and we were adamant about what we were going to achieve for those clients. And then that third year, we started focusing on new construction and regionalizing the team into the five regions. Our fourth year, we focused on luxury and international business. They go hand in hand. And then this year, we're focused on the 2016 and 2016 and growing our data bank because we've also got a task force that's looking at Vision 2020. What's business going to look like in 2020 and how can we impact that today? Because 2020, you realize technology just keeps going faster and faster and that everybody wants that. But we feel at the end of the day, relationships is what's going to matter. So the more people that we can be engaged with on a daily basis or even a monthly basis, we're going to own that side of the market share. So we're going after the data bank this year and really focusing on growing that data bank and getting our business from there. And we don't call it database. We call it data bank because that's where our uh, resources are going to come from. Yeah, describe that for us. Who is in the data bank? What is the data bank? What kind of information is in there? Who is in there? Uh, it's either Mets or haven't Mets. Um, it's people that we've met throughout the pro- you know throughout the five years. It's people that call in and inquire about something. You know, whether it's a new home or selling a home. We're big into radio and TV, so we've got lots of phone calls as far as that's concerned. Our number one source of leads is from radio and TV. That takes up 20%. Uh, We lump the past clients, client referrals, and sphere into one category. I mean, we keep it separate, but for lead sources, we'll lump it into one. That's 39%. And then our builder relations, that's 15% of our business. So those are our core lead sources that we've gone after. Let's dive into one of those core areas, the the largest one, 
past clients, sphere of influence, database is at 39%. So last year, that's almost 400 closings uh, in that one area. Uh, how big is your database of past clients and sphere of influence? Right now, we have a data bank of 28,000 people, and we have a pretty big goal this year. Um, depending on how effective our growth of the data bank is, we want well over 100,000 in that data bank. We'd like to be closer to 200,000 by the end of this year. And so we're going out and looking for multiple sources to not get not get onesies and twosies for growing the data bank, but we're looking for locations where we can get hundreds and sometimes thousands of them. You know, you can look at uh, HOAs and when your sellers are out there, get your sellers to provide you with the HOA list of everybody in that subdivision and put all of those people into your data bank. If you were going to do that, why don't you just go to the public records and grab all 6 million people in Houston and put them in your data bank? It's funny you say that because we're already working on that. <laughs> well, how are you going to have a close relationship, though, with 6 million people? I mean, does it work to do it that big and, and, uh, and that scale? Is that where you're ultimately going? Well, that's where our systems and processes come in so well. We have a CRM that is called Infusionsoft, and it is made for massive opportunities. And it's not for business today. It's for business three and five and seven years from now. As long as we maintain uh, communication with them, whether it be phone calls, emails, um, campaigns, and we also do client relation, customer appreciation uh, events twice a year, we're finding different resources to stay in touch with those people. Plus, we have the ISA call center. So imagine having a million people to call on a, a yearly basis. We've got to have a lot of people in the inside sales organization to be able to handle that kind of data bank. Let's step back down. We, we expanded out, and i got to pull back a little bit here. Let's talk about your current 28,000 and we were we were actually looking at narrowing that down even a little deeper. Past clients and sphere of influence. It's not twenty eight thousand for just past clients and sphere of influence, is it? No, it's not. It's people that we've added to the campaign, depending on what lead source it's come from. So there's several people I know that we've never even met. I imagine quite a few. Right, but the, we've also got a hundred people in each person's sphere that when they join our organization, they've got to come up with a list of a hundred people to add to the data bank right from the get go. That's their first week that they've got to do that. So, you know, you add 36 people to the organization, you've got 3,600 just from your sphere. No doubt. And then you already have, what was it? Geez, two or 3000 past clients or so from prior closings. Correct. So you're sitting somewhere around three to uh, six to seven thousand already. Yep, that's just the people that we've done business with, or that is part of our sphere. That doesn't take into account everybody that's called us that hasn't done business with us that we know. Do you follow up with those groups differently? Do you contact your past clients and sphere of influence? throughout the year in a different manner than you contact someone who came in off of a radio ad? 
Yes, absolutely. And that's where our VP of marketing and our VP of inside sales, they take the lead on that whole process and they create campaigns targeted towards that specific type of lead source. So let's talk about the campaign for your past clients and sphere of influence. It it resulted in 39% of your business. What are you doing to stay in front of those folks and get them to come back and repeat a referral? So we have our ISAs are calling clients, past clients or sphere on a quarterly basis. We also do the client appreciation events twice a year. So we're meeting them face to face. And the ISAs are calling them during that time period as well. And then they're always asking for referrals. Uh, and then on a daily basis, you know, somebody's calling the data bank on a daily basis. We've got a lot of people to get through every year and multiple times within a year. I've heard that just on that past client sphere of influence, you've got the quarterly call from the ISA. What are they saying in that call? What, how's that call sound? You're, you're making that call four times a year to a past client. What are you saying to them? One time they could be calling, uh, we call Spirit Day. So we call everybody in the sphere and they ask for referrals. Hey, we're running a contest and we're trying to get um, uh, people that we know that would like to do business with us. And who would you refer business out to us? We had the two customer appreciation events. So they're calling twice a year for those events and following up with them and inviting them personally. So they're getting an email from us. They're getting a text message from us, as well as getting a, a direct phone call from us just for those events. And then there may be another contest for the summer. And so it, it's a different campaign each time. We don't want it to be stagnant and have the same phone call time after time again. So you have two contests in a given year, maybe six months apart, and then you have the two events that are covering the other two quarters. It gives you a reason to call. And during the promotion of those events, you're at least one email, a text, and a phone call. So you're making three contacts? At least, yes. Tell us about the events itself. What kind of events are you putting on? In the spring, we do a. Uh, we used to do it right around Easter and then... Uh, we found that calling it a springtime event has been bigger, even though it still has an Easter feel to it. And it was actually just a few weeks ago. We had it in a central location at the Houston Zoo. So all of our past clients and our sphere is invited to that event. And this year we had well over 400 people attending the zoo. And we'll provide them. Um, they'll get to see animals from the zoo. They'll get lunch. And then they get to have a free zoo pass for the entire day. And then in the fall, we do a Thanksgiving pie day. So the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, we give out pies to everybody that's in our data bank that's willing to come to uh, receive a pie. And the cool thing about that is because we're in five regions, we have five homes opened up that people can go to any of those five locations to pick up a pie. And it's just another face-to-face -face opportunity to meet with them and then ask for referrals. And how many pies did you give away this last Thanksgiving? Uh, we gave away about 800 this past Thanksgiving. 800 contacts, 800 people coming to your location to say hello and get a pie. That's correct. Anything else you're doing with your past clients and sphere of influence other than those four contacts per year? 
Not specifically. I mean, they're on an email campaign that's targeted towards what their interests are. Um, Infusionsoft does an amazing job at campaigning, not just spam type of emails, but targeted emails based on what your interests are. There's massive logarithms that are in the background, and I don't get involved with that. that that's our VP of marketing's expertise, and she's actually training other people outside of the real estate industry because Infusionsoft is more corporate-based. Not real, It's not real estate-based at all, but we've made it into it, and uh, Greg Harrelson from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, actually got us really hooked up with that uh, Infusionsoft. Infusionsoft, pretty sophisticated uh, marketing program, does a lot of email, a lot of database tracking. I assume not only what the interest is of the customer, but also based on their actions. So if they, they're clicking a lot of XYZ email, you're going to send more XYZ and less ABC because they don't click on those as often. I assume those are the kind of things you're doing in there. Yep, absolutely. And uh it's worked out amazingly well. Most people, if you don't have a technology type person that's able to manage that process, Infusionsoft is probably not the right product for you. Unfortunately, we we lovingly call her a geek, but our VP of marketing is a, a, a real geek and she does an amazing job with our Infusionsoft. Most people call it Confusionsoft because it is difficult, but we absolutely love it, and it's been the best thing and a huge game changer for us. You also mentioned that another way that you're bringing in business, in fact, you said your number one source of new business is uh, radio and television, 20% and all. What are you doing on radio and TV? So we have Sean Hannity, Glenn Beck, Mike and Mike from ESPN, and then we have a couple of local celebrities, personalities that are endorsing us on a daily basis in the Houston market. And we basically have a call to action guaranteed home sale based off of um, parameters that we've set. And if you're interested in getting your home sold and you want to get it sold in a timely manner, then you want to work with the Loken group. And so that's worked really well. And then on TV, we've got a deal with Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank who was the number one real estate team in New York City when she had the Corcoran Group. And it's still in existence today, and it, it's a massive production. So the television, you have Barbara Corcoran. What is she doing for you? Is it is Barbara actually talking for you in an ad, or is she putting together a, an ad that you re-air? What, what's happening on the TV? She's actually talking on TV and her personalities on there as well as her face and talking about us. And then I also go to New York City and do the uh, TV shoot with her in person. So I go there about every six months and we do a new TV endorsement each time. So basically what you're doing is you're using celebrities to endorse you. That is correct. It, it adds validity and it just gives more uh, trustworthiness to the operation that we're running. And are the TV ads also geared towards sellers where you're doing some type of guaranteed sale program? Yes, absolutely. Our radio and our television is all geared towards the selling side. You mentioned the guaranteed sale program. Uh, what type of guarantee are you making? 
but we guarantee to get a person's home sold within the time that we all agree upon or we buy it at a negotiated price. So you don't give any specifics like within a certain uh, number of days or a percentage of the market value or anything? It's just very generic? It all depends on the location and the price point. So we've got several different tiers that are laid out so that it's home by home for the most part. And so that's probably the response that you give to someone who calls in and says, well, how much will you buy my home for? You're able to say, well, first of all, I haven't seen your home. Secondly, we have different tiered programs based on location and condition and so forth. I need to see your home. When's a good time to come talk to you? Correct. And we have a list. Our ISAs have a list of 21 questions that they go over with the uh, person that's looking to get their home sold or to work with us from a purchase standpoint. And they find out what the person's big why is. They find out actually what the personality traits are of the person over the phone because they've been trained on how to do it. You said the ISAs are, are evaluating the leads as they're coming in, the folks, and they're deciding, are they deciding what, what they are in the disc personality profile or, or how are they evaluating them? Right. They absolutely are. And that's been another evolution. We've, we've been doing all this disc profiling of people that are going to join our organization. And so one day we were talking and I was like, why don't we do the exact same thing for our clients? That way, when a person's going on a listing appointment and that, that client is a high D, that means you need to be short and to the point and get them taken care of. If they're a high I, you're going to probably be there for a while and talk about everything under the sun. If you're a high C, you're going to be very systematic and you've got to have lots of details and lots of facts behind that. A high S is just going to go with the flow and not want to be, you know, they don't want to have the boat tipped, you know, one way or the other. And so by learning that personality profile in the beginning, when they go to those appointments, the listing agent or the buyer agent already knows how to interact with that person much more efficiently. And it's, it's been awesome for us. Have you been tested? Do you know what your DISC personality profile is? Oh, I'm 100% D, and then my IS and C are all below the midline, but I'm 100% D. On the, the radio and TV ad, just a couple more questions. What is your monthly or annual budget for each of those? When we started out, I was spending $12,000 a month, and the funny story behind that is, it took six months before we closed on our first transaction, and it was actually an $80,000 mobile home. So I could have bought that mobile home for the investment that I made. But our criteria is at the end of the day to have a minimum of a three-to-one ratio. So for every dollar that we spend, we want a minimum of $3 back, and we've been able to achieve that after two and a half years. Do you mind telling us what the current budget is for radio and TV? Sure. I'm spending 35000 a month right now. Is that for both combined or, or for each? Yes, they're both combined. So it's 25000 for radio and 10000 a month for TV. How many transactions is that resulting in over a year, say, broken out by radio and then by TV? So if it's 20%, if you're doing 2,000 transactions, you got 20% there. Um, that's 400 transactions. Are you spending $420,000 a year on radio and TV? Um, about that, yes. Okay. And then you've got coming back in 
200 transactions. At least a million too. At least a million too. Right. Okay. And so that easily, so that's your three to one. That's correct. <laughs> so it's paying off. It's working out. And I assume that you're also getting a lot of ancillary business off that because now you've got past clients, more past clients to call and get referrals and bring their friends in and so forth. Exactly. And it's been really awesome to watch uh, because when people are calling us and working with us, they, they're amazed at the efficiency and the systems that we have in place to take care of them. And so it just adds more validity to what we're doing. And then they go out and tell all their friends about this process. And, and you know, even though we quote unquote have the guaranteed sale up front, we get past, we overcome that objection almost immediately. Uh, we've never had to purchase a home. So it's worked out really well. And that gives the seller confidence that we're going to get their home sold for top down. Sure. I was just thinking about it. You've got all this volume moving through. Have you worked at or looked at doing side businesses or expansion side businesses? For instance, a mortgage business or a title business or insurance business that would surround your core business of real estate brokerage? We have discussed that, but it is not our focus. We're still in the growth mode of our business from our real estate perspective. And we try really hard to stay focused on the one thing that we want to focus on that year. If we go and look at all these other, you know, glittery objects or things like that, we, we tend to lose our focus and we want to make sure that we're operating our business as a first class organization. We've aligned ourselves really well with allied resources and they've been an awesome support for us, you know, from a title perspective, from a mortgage perspective and things like that. So at this point in time, we've stayed focused on the real estate side of it. But I know that down the road, we'll, you know, at least look into the title business and look into the mortgage business and things like that, because that's a natural progression. But being in this business for only five years, that hasn't been a focus of ours yet. You mentioned the, the third major lead source for you is builders. And it's 15% of your business, about 150 transactions uh, last year. Uh, what are you doing with builders? What kind of builders? Where'd you find them? How are you helping them? We're listing builder new construction homes, and then we're putting our signs in the yard. And then when people look, you know, when they drive by a home and they want to get more information, they'll contact us. And so we'll get all the buyer leads off of those phone calls or sign calls and work with them from that perspective. We don't earn a whole lot of income on the listing side because it's such a mass uh, transaction. But on the purchase side, we're getting all those leads, especially if a person needs to get their home sold first and then purchase another home. And so that's been, it's taken a couple of years, but it's really become a big business for us. Are you working with small local mom and pop builders they're doing a couple homes a year are you working with the large nationals are you working with a local or regional how many builders are you working with and what size are they we're working with six builders currently and all the ranges that you said we have a national builder we have a major local builder and then we have a few boutique builders that are you know doing much less in volume how did you find the builders and create the relationship where they would trust you listing their property? 
um, that was a huge factor in our third year of business because that was our focus. We went after a person that was in another community that had a relationship with a major builder in town and uh, hired him on. And then he developed a relationship with another builder that was not happy with their current uh, person that was handling all the listings and got our foot in the door. And then that's just expanded into multiple builders now because they've seen our systems and processes. The original acquisition was actually of an agent who already had a relationship with a builder and you brought them into your fold, into your system. And that's what created the original connection. It was a sales counselor in another community with another builder. Correct. He wasn't an agent because in Houston, you can't be an agent if you're selling new construction. They don't want you to be doing you know, business on the side. I know that another source of your business, 13% last year, was agent-to-agent referral. What does that mean? Are you talking about other agents in your market referring to you or other agents across the nation? What does that mean? It's mostly other agents across the nation, especially via Facebook. Uh, there's a huge referral source. And since we've had this awesome opportunity to help people achieve their goals across the United States by going on speaking engagements, um, we've developed a nice pipeline of referrals as well from that perspective because people trust us that they know that their clients are going to be taken care of because they understand the business model that we've developed. You mentioned Facebook. Are you in a Facebook group that does referrals? How, how are the agent-to-agent referrals happening through Facebook? I'm currently a member of six different agent referral groups, and I try my best to be near the, from a sense of urgency, I try to be the first or second person on there uh, to respond. Sometimes it makes it a little difficult, but then there's other agents that actually support us by seeing those and, you know, those requests and then let us know, you know, by texting us and saying, hey, there's somebody that's looking for a home in Houston, go help them out. And so that's been really awesome as well. I noticed that the last major pillar of your sources of business are expired. It's 11% of your business. Is Houston a, a strong market? How, how are there so many expireds? Well, our months of inventory on hand is currently at 3.4. And so there are some expireds. It, it, it ebbs and flows on a yearly basis, depending on if it's a seller's market or a buyer's market. But our expertise is getting people their homes sold, and we do it in a timely fashion. Our average days on market is currently at 17, whereas the competition's ranging anywhere from 50 to 54 days. And so, you know, we have an entire process that works extremely well. So when people aren't satisfied, they'll call us up and their homes will be expired. And that's where our inside sales agents come into play and really do an amazing job with their scripts. And you're selling homes uh, three times faster than the competition. If you go by days on the market, I'm sure you're talking about that. Are you also using your guaranteed sell program with the expired listings? No, we don't. We only utilize that when somebody calls us and is specific about that. For the most part, you know, we get over that process as quickly as possible. You have a really big operation a lot of uh, lead flow and transaction flow. I noticed, though, in your lead sources, I don't see internet leads. Do you 
do internet lead generation? And if so, why? And if not, why? We call that sign leads or internet leads or phone calls coming in because so many uh, leads will come in via email. And so we may not classify it as specifically as somebody else may. Are you buying internet leads or paying for, say, pay-per-click internet? We do Google AdWords and we utilize SmartZip. We do not utilize Trulia or Zillow or any of those other sources. We focus our investment on the radio and TV as well as the builder side. You're focused on uh, getting those listings, the seller side, and you know that those signs will generate your buyer leads. That's absolutely correct. So on the builder side of our business, we're focused with the buyers. And on the radio and TV, we're focused on the, the listing side. And we, we truly believe in this next statement. We're driving the business. The business isn't going to drive us. So we want to make sure that we're always in the lead and that we're on the front end of getting that business. Lance, are you profitable? Absolutely, yes. Would you mind disclosing to us what your profit margin is? Uh, It ranges between 25 and 28%. Well, Lance, what drives you? I'm seeing how others are succeeding, and it excites me to see their happiness on a daily basis. It motivates me. Every morning I get up and my entire thought process is how can I help other people achieve their goals for the next day? Because if they're achieving their goals, the Logan Group's going to be very successful. Lance, why have you been so successful? I think it's a combination of running a business as a business. That's probably key and foremost. Secondly, our culture and everything being about the team and the organization And thirdly, by making sure that I empower people to be successful and become experts in each of their roles. Well, Lance, if you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? I would tell them if they're just getting into the business to create a mission, vision, and value statement first, because you need to know what your big why is. You need to know how you're going to accomplish your big why and what path are you going to take to earn that. Then once you've laid out that plan, then go and do it and focus on one thing each year. Don't be focusing on 10 or 15 different items and hoping that one of them stick. Be a master at one thing each year. You seem to set that at the beginning of each year. Do you have a big team meeting, say at the end of the prior year to decide what that focus is going to be? Well, if we would do that, that would be too late for us. So we do our team planning advance uh, in September because for us, the new year starts October 1st. Because if you think about it, if you go on a listing appointment that first week of October, they've got to meet with the stager. They've got to get their home ready, get for photographer. That home may go on the market in December, and then hopefully it's closed by the end of January. Well, now you're in January already by what you started doing in October. So we have our one thing all created in September, and then we have task force created to make sure that that one thing is implemented throughout the entire year. And they meet on a weekly basis, and um, they're the ones that make it happen, and they do an amazing job at it. Lance, you come from an accounting background. 
sounds like you really like numbers. How often do you review your financials, your P&L? Every day of the week. Wow, every day. Every single day. And do you review that by yourself or with your team or with certain team members? I review it myself every day, and then I review it with the team on a weekly basis because the numbers tell a story. You can tell when a shift in the market is occurring. If you're reviewing your numbers every day, you know where your expenses are going on a daily basis. You can manage your expenses much better if you look at them every day because if you look at your numbers once a month, you could already be too late in making adjustments. So I'm looking at them every day. And as soon as I see something happening, we make adjustments immediately so that we're not waiting in a month or two months down the road. Our organization can't endure a mess like that. A perfect example of that is we knew that October was coming with the new TRID regulations. And we were really striving to get our business, you know, in such a manner that it wouldn't create a hiccup. And because there were so many mortgage companies out there that couldn't handle the TRID regulations, we lost two weeks of business, literally. And it cost us over $12 million by losing that, you know, $12 million in volume. Because of doing that, we missed our goal for last year. And so if you're not looking at your numbers all the time, Hiccups can occur, and they can become big hiccups, especially in our organization. Are there certain key numbers or metrics that you review each day? I'm sure there are just a few numbers that you're really monitoring, and if so, what are they? I'm looking at the buyer transactions versus listing transactions, because that'll tell me when the market is shifting. And I'm also looking to see how many transactions each each person is doing, because then if they're getting to their boiling point where, you know, their threshold, we need to make sure that we have another person on, on standby to start uh, transitioning into the production role. Because I want people to be happy doing what they're doing. I don't want them to be feeling exhausted on a daily basis. I want them to be excited. Lance, do you have any resources that the agents listening could use? Oh, absolutely. Uh, we've created a Dropbox account called tlgshares.com. So for the Loking Group, it's the TLG, T is in Tom, L is in Larry, G is in Group, shares.com. And you can go onto that Dropbox account and pretty much all the resources you could ever think of are in there. We have position agreements. We have our first 100 days. We have our scripts that we utilize on a daily basis, the questions that the ISAs ask. We have flow charts for both the listing side and the purchase side, not only from how the lead comes in and what the process is there, but also from a transaction perspective, from the listing agreement to listing under contract, and then contract to close, and then on the buyer side from contract to close. So pretty much anything you could imagine is in that Dropbox account for anybody to utilize. Wow, that it sounds like it's your operations manual. It is our operations manual. Everything that we keep uh, for our organization, we also keep in that Dropbox account. Well, that is incredible. And, and are you saying that agents can go access that for, for what? Well, how much do they have to pay for that? It's something that we've offered up because so many people have asked us those specific questions. 
And so we just created the Dropbox account for anybody to go in and look at it and utilize. Because at the end of the day, if we can help other people, other agents across the United States and even internationally, if we can help them become more successful, imagine what the perception of this organization from a real estate organization is going to look like five and 10 years from now. And that's what excites us because we want to deal with professionals as well. Wow. Wow, Lance, that is amazing. So that's an incredible free gift. Uh, Folks, please go take a look over there. That was tlgshares.com. Thank you, Lance. Our pleasure. Well, Lance, do you think that top agent interviews like the one we're doing now with Mastermind Agent are valuable? Absolutely. You have an easy uh, process to follow by listening to interviews like this. Well, Lance, I've come to the end of my questions for today. Do you have any parting thoughts for the listeners? This really isn't rocket science. Anybody can do exactly what we're doing. The The difference, I think, between what we're doing and what most other people uh, are doing is that we actually implement. We don't just think big. We exercise everything big. So we're, we're doing the activities that are, that are creating those results. If you just think about something... It's never going to happen. You've got to actually execute. Well, Lance, you and your team think big, act big, and get big results. Your focus on team results rather than personal results has created a stratospheric organization. Ironically, by focusing on team results, individual results improve as well. Your willingness to set big, huge, audacious goals to plan one, five, and ten years out, and to empower your people to make decisions, take action, and win as a team has proven to be a very powerful strategy. As mind-blowing as your 2016 in 2016 goal is, I think the odds are in your favor. Thank you for sharing and being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who sold 162 homes last year were 68 million. Find out who she is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar, titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at freeleadtime.com. That's freeleadtime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. 
You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.